That's what happens when you try to try to cool fonts. You can't see it. Grace, mercy, and peace be yours from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. What do you think of when you hear the word tragedy? <laughs> tragedy. What about its corresponding adjective, tragic? We throw words like this around a lot. Something doesn't go our way, it's a tragedy. The government cuts spending in some certain area that we deem important, it's a tragedy. Everything I want should be free and everything I hate should be banned. <laughs> the situation with blank is a tragedy. It's downright tragic. Or what do you think about comedy? We like to think of comedy as being something that makes us laugh. We often expect comedies to be stories that entertain us with humor throughout. Sometimes we call that kind of humor dry comedy or dark comedy, but we expect to laugh or at least chuckle to ourselves. Tragedy sad, comedy funny. And we're often confused when movies, books, or plays don't exactly follow along these lines. But did you know that whether something is funny throughout or sad throughout doesn't really define whether it is a comedy or a tragedy? The ancient Greeks who first developed our concept of theater in our categories first defined these two genres. Playwrights like Sophocles and Euripides pioneered early dramatic forms some 400 years BC. We think of comedy as being funny and tragedy as sad, but the defining factor is how everything turns out in the end, especially for the main character. In a comedy, they live happily ever after, despite the potential struggles and challenges and even sorrows along the way. In a tragedy, not so much. The plot of a tragedy usually describes a central figure who exhibits many virtues, but due to one flaw, often called the tragic flaw, ends up in a horrible state. Things don't turn out okay in a tragedy. Have you ever had to explain the loss of a pet to a little kid? That's usually our first introduction to tragedy. Mommy, why is my fish floating? Alexander M. Sanders, Sanders Jr., who was at one time Chief Justice of the South Carolina Court of Appeals, spoke to the graduating class of the University of South Carolina in 1992. His daughter, Zoe, was part of that graduating class, and so he told a story about when she was three years old. He came home from work one day to find a crisis. Zoe's pet turtle had died, and she was crying her heart out. His wife turned the problem over him to solve. First, Judge Sanders explained that he would go to the pet store and get another turtle. He got nowhere with that idea. Zoe knew that life couldn't be transferred from one turtle to another. She wanted her turtle, and she wanted it alive. So she continued to cry. Then Judge Sanders, I wish it was Colonel Sanders this time of day, Judge Sanders said, I'll tell you what, we'll have a funeral for the turtle. Being three years old, Zoe didn't know what a funeral was. 
A funeral, he said, is a great festival in honor of the turtle. She didn't know what a festival was. So he said, a funeral or a festival is kind of like a birthday party. We'll have ice cream and cake and lemonade and balloons and all the children in the neighborhood will come over to play all because the turtle had died. Zoe's tears began to dry up and she returned to her happy self. Then, an utterly unforeseen thing happened. The turtle's legs began to wiggle. He began to move. He was not dead after all. In a matter of seconds, the turtle was crawling all over the place, as lively as ever, like nothing had ever happened. Mr. Sanders, Judge Sanders, didn't know what to say, but Zoe appraised the situation perfectly. With all the innocence of a three-year-old child, she looked up at her father and said, Daddy, let's kill it. <laughs> Don't get a little kid excited for a party <laughs> if you're not going to have it. Today's Old Testament text describes the greatest tragedy in all of human history. The movement from a blissful existence of unending life with God to the crushing reality of a fallen world and certain death is held before us. And it's not fiction. It's really happened. This is a real tragedy. And this tragedy isn't a movie that you watch or a book that you read or a play that you attend. No, it is not just given as an example for you to learn from, like the ancient Greek tragedies or Hamlet or Macbeth. The real tragedy is yours and mine, and we live it every single day. It's a tragedy involving Adam and Eve, but also involving us. Quite simply, our first parents, in their desire to be like God, lost his gifts of innocence and holiness. They were never less God-like than after they had given in to the serpent's temptation, ye shall be like God. Adam and Eve's identity was wonderful beyond our capacity to even comprehend. God personally breathed into Adam the very breath of life. He formed Eve in a very personal manner. In fact, they were handmade. They were handmade in God's image. Indeed, Adam and Eve were the pinnacle of God's creative work. Only they, out of all creation, were created in his own image and likeness. The portrait of God's actions in Genesis 1 and 2 display his kindness and his generosity toward them. All of God's gifts in creation were for the benefit and support of Adam and Eve. God gives and gives and gives, and yet for them, it wasn't enough. God is the giver of the heavens and the earth. He is the giver of the sun, moon, stars, and seasons. He is the giver of the seas and all the life in it. He is the giver of the land creatures. He's the giver of headship over other creatures. He is the giver of language. He is the giver of marriage and family. And in a remarkable act of giving, he gives Adam and Eve free will. That is 
they had the capacity to turn from the one who had given them all things. And this is where the greatest tragedy occurs, that they turn away from God. They turned away from God's gifts in their desire to be, as the serpent said, like God. They turned towards self-absorption, self-will, self-assertion, and that, dear friends, is the origin of sin itself. This is where the tragedy of Adam and Eve becomes the tragedy of us. For we all know our own self-absorption, self-will, and self-assertion at the expense of God and our neighbor. We, too, have wanted to do our own thing. History books and newspapers alike are filled with stories documenting the effects of our sinful self-obsession and our self-absorption. The greatest commandment is also the hardest commandment for us to keep. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Easier said than done. And what are the results of this tragedy? They are devastating and they are everywhere. Preoccupation with self at the expense of God and of neighbor is more than just breaking a rule. Such prideful sin breaks down all that God so freely gave us. It breaks down our relationship with God. Now Adam and Eve must hide from God. It breaks our relationship with our neighbor. Now Adam blames Eve. It breaks our relationship with the world. Now labor and toil will be required to live. And it breaks our relationship with our own being. Now we are confused about our own identity. But more wonderful than anything that we could have ever imagined, God does not abandon Adam and Eve, nor does he abandon us. Rather, he promises here in our Genesis reading that the seed of the woman will reverse the curse that has descended upon all creation. And his promises continue throughout Genesis, through all of the Old Testament. In the seed of the woman, our relationship with God is restored. As St. Paul so succinctly states in Romans chapter 8, verse 1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. In the seed of the woman, our relationship with our neighbor is restored. Jesus states, but I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you. In the seed of the woman, our relationship with the world will be renewed. As Isaiah, the prophet, looks into the future, he beholds the promises of God and declares, Behold, says the Lord, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former things shall not be remembered or come into mind. So if you are wondering if the pains and sorrows of this life will follow you into eternity, be assured, rest assured, they will not.
in the seed of the woman, we are forgiven. Our identity as God's beloved children is restored to us. Our identity crisis is over. Now you can truly know who you are and who you were created to be in Christ. St. Paul says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. So rejoice and be glad. In Jesus Christ, the tragedy of our self-will has been reversed. Unlike the Greek tragedies that ended in despair and death or Shakespearean tragedies that end in mass suicide, our tragic situation has been reversed by the one who took it all upon himself, who took all of our sin and all of our shame and all of our inward focus and selfishness and put it to death on the cross. Luther often quotes St. Augustine, who really paraphrases St. Paul, who says that human beings are incurvatus est in se, turned inwardly upon themselves. And that has been our plight since that day in the garden. God opens us up. He turns us outward to look upon the cross and the salvation that he has accomplished on our behalf. In the cross, we see the true character of God, the giving of God, the justice of God, the mercy of God. In the cross, you see the lavish love of God poured out upon you once and for all. He has given his very son for our redemption and our restoration. As the psalm so beautifully states, O Israel, hope in the Lord. For with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him there is plentiful redemption, and he will redeem Israel from all its iniquities. And now as new creatures in Christ, we have the privilege of living and sharing this reality of new life in Christ. It's not just for us to keep to ourselves, it's for us to bring to the rest of the world. In our epistle reading, St. Paul says, since we have been since we have the same spirit of faith according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke. We also believe. We also speak. And, and so speaking, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. And so our tragic situation has been reversed by God's gracious will by the gift of his very son. As I mentioned earlier, the difference between a comedy and a tragedy is how it turns out in the end. And do you know, dear saints, how it turns out in the end? It turns out very, very good for you. St. John has granted a glimpse of this in the book of Revelation. He says, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. And elsewhere he says, there are more saints than anyone could number from every tribe, nation, language, people, and tongue, praising God in a loud voice saying, Hosanna in the highest. <laughs> our tragedy has been reversed. And it doesn't sound right to call it a comedy because of our baggage associated with that, but I promise you that because of Jesus Christ, because of his cross, his death, his blood, and his resurrection, Everything is going to be okay. In the name of Jesus.
not only the peace of 